0: Thanks for tuning into the Refuge Church Sermon podcast. It's our prayer that the Spirit would use God's word to stir your affections for Christ during this time. While we're glad to provide this online content, please remember that it's not intended to replace commitment and connection within a local church family. Now, here's this week's message. Our reading today is from Matthew chapter 4 verse 23. And seeing the crowds, he went up the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of the Lord. There, look at that. All right, now I'm amplified. All right, and uh, all I could think about with that stocking gift exchange was the, uh, and I got a robe. (laughs) Those who have ears, let them hear. Uh, Yeah, I felt the weight of a little bit of condemnation on having that event. but whatever. For those who might not get stocking stuffers, all right, all right. Honey, pick yourself out two of each. Actually, all right. I I do, anyway. All right. I got to stop making comments when I get up here. Um, Okay. Okay. so as I was finishing up prep for last week's sermon, I, I realized that I had, I have like this little Excel, this is the only time I ever interact with Excel, and I have it where I can map out like sermons and the calendar and put the events on there, who's preaching what and what we're doing, how to break it all down, and I realized last week uh, that things weren't quite lining up like I had planned, and it turns out I, I was going to spend a little extra time on the Lord's Prayer, and somehow I skipped a week. And I wanted, so the, the last passage that we have to talk about in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, before we get into technically not the Christmas season, technically the Advent season, but it's okay. Uh, again, Scrooge like kept Christmas with him all through the year, so uh, that's a valid argument. If you're like, well, we're, we're tired of waiting, we want to enjoy, I'm okay with that. But Advent is about waiting and anticipating. Anyway, but I wanted to like get into the week before Thanksgiving with, with the, the passage on prayer of ask, uh, asking and seeking and knocking, uh, which I think is a beautiful way to enter into Thanksgiving, as we look at not like what we get away with, but just the goodness of a Father that we can ask, seek, and knock. Um, so I'm waiting for that till next week. So this week we're doing, that's a long way for me to tell you, this week we're going to do a recap uh, of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And we're just going to walk through, we're going to take a step back before we get into Advent, before we get into the busyness of December and and, and uh, all the big holidays coming up, to just step back for a second and remind ourselves where we've been, what Jesus is bringing about, what he says he's ushering in with this kingdom of God. And what does it mean? And maybe more importantly, what does it not mean? Uh, And I love the way, uh, there's a story that uh, N.T. Wright tells, uh, who's a theologian. I love the way he tells this. It says, uh, for seven years, I was a college chaplain at Worcester College in Oxford. And each year, I used to see the first-year undergraduates individually for a few minutes to welcome them to the college and to make a first acquaintance. And most were happy to meet me, but many commented, often with slight embarrassment, you won't be seeing much of me, I, I don't believe in God. And so uh, N.T. Wright developed a stock response. He said, oh, that's interesting. Which God is it that you don't believe in? This used to surprise them. They mostly regarded the word God as univocal, always meaning the same thing. So they would stumble out a few phrases about the God they said they did not believe in, a being who lives up in the sky, looking down disapprovingly at the world, occasionally intervening to do miracles and such, sending bad people to hell while allowing good people to share in his heaven. And again, I had a stock response for this very common statement of, I love this, spy-in-the-sky theology. And he would say, well, I'm not, he has a British accent, so you have to picture him saying this with much more eloquence than me. He said, well, I'm not surprised you don't believe in that God. I don't believe in that God either. At this point, the undergraduate would look startled, and perhaps a feigned look of recognition. It was sometimes rumored that half the college of chaplains at Oxford were actually, in fact, atheists. But he would stop them. No, no, no. He would say, "I, I believe in the God that I see revealed in Jesus of Nazareth. Throughout scripture and in the present world, we see gods all over the place. We have kind of our default view of gods that we operate with. We say, sometimes we say one thing, but the God we actually functionally believe in is a totally different story, a totally different narrative, a totally different concept. Do we believe in the God of the cosmically disappointed? That God's just standing up there and going, I can't believe you did this again. Or how about the God who is presumptively on our side, no matter what? This is a God that's for me and mine, and consequently against you. And, M-I-Z? <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I don't think he's on our side. I think he's, if you're a Mizzou fan, I can almost promise you God's not on our side. But he did give us some good gifts yesterday. All right. Uh, Or what about the God, the the God who thinks and acts and votes like us, the God that we've made in our image? Or maybe the God who's up there like, guys, you know what, work it out on your own, right? Like just doesn't care, apathetic, how much longer do I got to deal with this? Or the God who's hard to understand. Or the puppet master God who's up there just pulling strings. It, it actually, ta- this is part of the hard part of the Christian life, which we're going to hit heavy in Advent. It actually takes effort to remember who God is. It takes effort not to default to our, the, the natural ways that we tend to think about God. He accepts our resumes, not actually our soul. It takes effort and it it takes some some work to remember and to remind ourselves who God is if if we believe that Jesus is actually the full revelation of God. And let me tell you, if you are a follower of Jesus, that is what we believe. That's a thing. We often say that we believe in a God of grace. But man, how quickly does that fade when we either see somebody else who's doing it better than we do, and you're like, ah, I stink. Or maybe more so, we see somebody who's doing it worse than we do, and at least I'm not as bad as. Right? Guilt and pride. That's a heavy God right there. So let's take a step back. It's an overview of the king of this kingdom. And then, what in the world are we supposed to do to respond to this king? Now, I would love for you to open your Bibles this morning to, to follow along. And I meant to grab one, and I'm going to. Like the, in the paper version, if you, there's lots of good apps, and that's fine, but the phone can be the devil. So uh, uh, if you do the phone, no social media, turn notifications off, no texting. Anything like that. But if you have a paper version, I'd love for you to, to do that. If you don't own a Bible, there should be some under, underneath the pews. They're not pews, though. They're chairs underneath the chairs in front of you or around you. Grab one. If you don't own a Bible, take it, please. And what I'm going to have you do is I'm going to have you open it up to Matthew chapter 5, which is on page. Can't read it. I'm getting old. Not that bad eyesight is just about getting old, but I'm getting old. Uh, open it up to page 809. That's going to start in Matthew 5. If you don't own a Bible, if you've never read this, you've never heard this, you don't know what we're talking about, here's what I'm going to have you do. Open it up to page 809. In the bottom right-hand corner, you're going to see a big five, chapter five. I would love for you read from chapter five to chapter seven. It's only a couple pages. Read it, ask questions, and then email me and say, all right, here's the deal. I have some questions, and I will meet you. I will cover your beverage if you want to sit down and ask questions about this. And, and if it's a long time, I'll cover beverage and a snack. Um, and uh, ask questions about what Jesus is saying here. Pastor at seekrefuge.net. Yes, .net. We set this up 17 years ago. <laughs> I don't even know if .net's still a thing, but that's, our, that's my email. Um, all right. Uh, and read through this. And I'm going to give you an assignment a little bit later to read through this and ask questions. So so do that. And if you want to know more, let's do it. And and take the Bible. Um, enjoy it. Read it. Use it. Mark it up. And then look for an app, and we can talk more about that later. All right. So I'm going to give some basic summaries of the kingdom, of, of what Jesus is saying here in this collected works of his sermons, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. Basically, Jesus, so I, I'm going to ask you to kind of look down and follow along with me. So I'm actually starting from what Kayla read In chapter 4, Jesus comes into town and he proclaims, The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's the same thing. He is fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah, which was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, that Isaiah basically says, There is coming one who will form a new kingdom. Israel, your kingship is falling apart. All the nations of the world are rebelling against God. There's going to be judgment, but there's actually going to be a better king to come, and he's going to usher in a better kingdom. And so Jesus shows up on the scene and says, the better kingdom, the kingdom of God, is here. It is at hand. And the first thing he does that that we read about, he starts healing people. He's showing his disciples, this is what the kingdom of God looks like. Sickness has no power here. Disease has no power here. Anxiety has no power here. The kingdom of God is to renew all things. And this, and he ushers in the kingdom of God, which we call, he ushers, uh, this is, he is delivering good news, or what we call, class, the gospel. So if you ever hear that word gospel and you think, well, that's about music with people who go by their last names, sort of, but also it means good news. That's what gospel means. And Jesus is coming in, and he's proclaiming good news. And who is this good news for? Take a look at Matthew 5, 3, right after the colon where where, uh, Kayla stopped. 5, verse 3, we start seeing a list of who this good news is for. The poor in spirit. The mournful. The humble, the desperate. This is a kingdom for those who have experienced the reality that the kingdoms of this world are both fickle and that they hold no lasting hope. This is a savior for those who know they need a savior. Not for those who need help in their retirement plan. For those who know they desperately need a Savior. Glenn Stosson, one of the guys that I've read early on, especially for, the, uh, for some of the, his commentary, I love what he says about the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are these 10 or so verses, 3 through, I think, 12 Of blessed are the blessed are. The beatitude just means blessing. And what he says about this, he says these are not a list of virtues that we are to pursue uh, as if in pursuing these virtues because God saves virtuous people. That's not how this works. Jesus is coming in and he's proclaiming good news. so we went through this. I think it was the very beginning of the year. When we went through these Beatitudes, one of the things we asked at the end of every week, why is this good news? Is this good news or is this threatening to me? Is it good news that this kingdom is for the poor in spirit? Or am I like, eh, not totally poor in spirit. I have a lot that I can offer. The call of this kingdom is not to simply be better and try harder. The call is when we see Jesus coming as good news and he says, turn and follow me. The biblical word here is repent, which really means change your allegiance. Change your allegiance from the kingdoms of this world or in our day, the kingdom of me and follow Jesus as king. Worship him as king. And, I, and Joel said this earlier, Yes, it is under his authority. His authority is good. We have a hard time in our day saying authority is good, right? Anytime we hear that word authority, we're like, that's suspicious. What do you mean by that? But have you ever had like a teacher who's actually practiced really good authority and their authority actually sets you free? Or a boss who sets up structure and order that allows you to thrive. Or a king who is good and generous, who wants good for you, who's not cosmically disappointed in his people, who doesn't use his people to accomplish his his, his will, but actually gives himself up for his people. Jesus calls us to change our allegiance. And then as he goes along after the Beatitudes, he's going to say, this is going to look different in the world. This is going to be light in the darkness. This is going to be salt of the earth. It's going to look different in the world. Now, here's what's important. To follow Jesus looks different. And followers of Jesus are to look different from the world. But it looks different from the irreligious, and it looks different from the religious. This is not a new set of morality, a new set of rules for us to to obey and to look at. It's not us versus them. To follow Jesus is us for the sake of them. So going back, Jesus gave, uh, God gave his law in Deuteronomy. And there's a lot. The law in Deuteronomy that was given was meant to form the people of God as a people. It's not just a list of rules and technicalities that you're supposed to that were like, all right, here's this, so as long as I follow this to the T, I'm in good shape. Uh, other ancient worlds, uh, other ancient gods, they, they kind of had a concept of sin in the ancient world, but the, the idea of sin, there was no relationship between a, a, a god in the ancient near, uh, near Eastern world and his people. Um, it was all transactional. We do for this god so that he will do for us. Give us rain, give us sunshine, help us grow crops... And we'll give you sacrifices and we'll give you this. There was no relationship. And the idea of sin was like, try not to make him mad. Because then we don't get crops and we don't get food. But then he doesn't get crops and he doesn't get food. So there's kind of a little payback here. And that's the way the ancient God worked. This is a God that wants a relationship with his people. Totally, totally out of left field. And his laws are not like this. They're an invitation to know him his character, what he wants, what he desires, and they're put in place to form them as a people. And what Jesus says here in, I, 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 I should have put the uh, things. What Jesus says, in, starting in verse 17, that he has come to fulfill the law. He hasn't come to abolish it. What he's saying is these are still in place. I still want to form you and fashion you as a people, but this is not about technicalities. And if you're going to try to run this game by technicalities, of I do this, this, and this, and try to control your own world, you'd better be really, really, really good at it. In fact, you better be spotless. Otherwise, this is not a kingdom for you. You better be at least as good as the Pharisees. And what the Pharisees had tended to do was to Put new rules in place so they could follow them too. And this is where we get to what NT Wright's talking about. If we believe in a God that sends good people to heaven and bad people to hell, well, then we're going to have to define good. What does that mean? Who's good? And so then Jesus takes the rest of chapter 5 and breaks it down. And he's going to basically say uh, if you think you're good because of the technicalities, let's talk. You'd better look deeper. Have you killed anybody? It's good as time as any for some mass confession. All right. <laughs> All right. Good. I'm genuinely happy that nobody here has killed anybody. Um, have you despised somebody in your heart? Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Have you dehumanized somebody? Have you looked at somebody and just literally said they are less than human? All right. Technicalities then, you're out. You want to run by that game? You're out. He then goes into lust and divorce, and I'll let you go back and listen to the sermons on that. It's baby dedication. I want to kind of honor that a little bit. You can go back and listen to those sermons if you want to talk more about that. Um, but then he goes, uh, uh, or, or what about if, uh, has anybody ever lied, right? You take oaths, and, the, and there's a big, long explanation about this. But if you've ever, and kids, this is a great one for you to get, for you to get some ammo on. Uh, have your parents ever said, I'll be there in a minute? And then you're like, all right. Or probably, all right. <laughs> and it's more than a minute? Yeah. But wait a minute, have you ever done that? you ever said I'll be inside in just a minute? The Hands go down real quick. Oh, wait a minute. Have you ever had to say, this time I mean it? Or have you ever had to finish a statement with, I promise? We're not designed to live in a world with broken promises, but they're everywhere. We lie, we cover up, we don't tell the full truth. There's a great book on that which I can't reference. Because it's it's a great book. I have a we have a child in our family that will remain nameless, but I joke about on their epithet, on their tombstone one day will be no 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 hang on just a minute. I sat with a few I sat with a friend a few weeks ago that had some questions about the Bible and, and someone had sent them an article about Paul suggesting that Jesus didn't ruin Christianity. Paul ruined Christianity, which, listen, that's a common trope. Um, it is a, now, interpretations of Paul have been terrible, for sure. Those abound. Uh, usually, all of these, both of those interpretations are born out of an ignorance of, of historical context and what Paul was talking about and, and using Paul to kind of break down Christianity in ways that we can understand it instead of using Paul as bringing the message of Jesus to lots of different cities in their context. And so we sat down, and, and, and this friend was like, I'm not, this is just new to me, so I, I want to learn. I was like, no, that's totally fine. Let's talk. I disagree with that article, just so you know, but let's talk. So we talked about that. And again, there's a lot of misinterpretations of Paul. There's a lot of historical ignorance in what Paul was saying. Uh, but the other thing I said is, you know, sometimes we don't like Paul because he says things we don't understand, and they seem pretty harsh. But uh, Jesus said some harsh things, too. Look at this next one here. Look at uh, verse 43 and 44. Love your what, class? Enemies. Love your enemies. And when we went through this, I asked people to think of their enemies. And if you're like, I don't have any enemies. Yes, you do. Especially if you think that. We all have enemies. In this case, Jesus says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. You know who he was talking about in that? He's talking about the Romans. The Romans were the oppressors. Man, I don't have time to get into this whole discussion about what we've divided the world into today. The oppressed and the oppressors. But I will tell you, the command of Jesus is really hard not only do you get to do you can you not dismiss those who might you might feel are below you in status but also you cannot resent those who are above you in status that's hard thankfully my friend acknowledged the point and said yeah I don't do that I said yeah me neither it's hard The kingdom of God is not a kingdom of technically following the rules so that we can kind of be in control. But it's also not a kingdom of like looking good to others. It's not a kingdom of appearance. As we venture into uh, chapter six, kids, back to you. Mr. Beast, right? All right. Parents, you may not know who Mr. Beast is and that's okay. You may not need to. But kids, you know who Mr. Beast is, right? All right. All right, so is Mr. Beast good or bad? Okay, good, don't know, bad, good, even division within the household, all right. All right, Mr. Beast is on a new venture right now, I understand, of digging wells in Africa to help certain peoples with, uh, to get uh, fresh water in Africa. Good or bad? Okay. Okay. He is putting mass production and filming the whole thing and getting lots of promotion and lots of money for digging wells in Africa. Is that good or bad? Mm-hmm. All right, all right, all right. I know capitalism can, is, I mean, it's getting people fresh water, don't care about your motivation, right? All right. Let's, let's, let's do the hard work of dividing capitalism and the kingdom of God. Um, all right. All right. He's giving that money, any money that he's making off it, supposedly or apparently, he's giving back to the project to dig more wells of fresh water in Africa. Is that good or bad? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't check his books. All right, here's what I've done. I've pulled you into two things that Jesus talks about in chapter 6, actually one in chapter 7. One is giving and the motive of giving. Two is judgment. You guys all just right, rushed right in there. All right. All through chapter six, Jesus tells us that this kingdom is not for show. When we do things to be seen by others to look good, Jesus warns us: whether it's prayer, whether it's giving to the poor, whether it's spiritual practices, that if we're doing these things so that other people think highly of us, and we don't—I don't know the motive—but if we're doing these things so that other people, or if we can get more likes on our on our or subscribers to our YouTube page or whatever. Um, what Jesus says here is, there's your reward. But, but hear me on this. This is not the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of man, and, and your reward is, that's it. And let me tell you something. That feels really good. It does. We make it sound so easy, but acceptance admiration, being on the right side, getting all those likes, putting the right hashtag so that now all of a sudden I have a community. Don't act like that's not tempting. That's tempting. And Jesus says, there you go, enjoy it. But in there, he gives us a warning. He he, he does, he's gonna also, there's a warning in that that is about how fickle people are, because you better keep it up. We're fickle. We love you today, but if you do one thing that steps out of line, and man, take your pick, religious or irreligious. You think it's hard to be rejected by a church community? Give it time. But there's also something in here that Jesus also talks about, kind of hidden in the back. The reward of the kingdom of God to be with, to commune, to delight in the presence of God himself, to know that the God of the universe sees you, knows your needs, delights to be with you, longs for you to spend time in his presence, loves you. That's a reward that doesn't change. We kind of walk through this. We see some of the false kings showing up in this kingdom. Maybe it's control, right? Where this is about keeping the technicalities of the law so I can manipulate that, and as long as I'm doing this, technically, I'm good. We can manipulate the system as necessary. Maybe it's approval. As long as everybody thinks I'm doing this right... People think highly of me. People are impressed by me. Maybe it's money. This is where Jesus goes next. Not like that we need money to live. Yes. But like we can't get enough. We put our trust, our hope, we give our anxiety, our fear, and our worry, and our time, and our attention, and dare I say worship, to money. If I only had a little more. And then we talked about this last week, power, I think that's where it comes when we talk about judgment. And I've heard there's a lot of good discussion happening from, from last week. What does it mean to judge? What does it mean to not judge? I think a good litmus test for this is uh, to be able to judge is um, if you see something in somebody else, a sin or something other, that, that you look and go, I don't think this is good for that person. If you're there and you want to help them, you have a genuine desire to help and want good for them versus if you see something in somebody else that you don't like, that is a sin or something else that might be destroying a person and you are bringing those out because it, it's what makes you better than them. I think motivation on that is huge. Or if somebody's trying to help you and then we have this great, this great defense attorney that says, hey, don't judge me. And then what we get to do with that is we get to say, because I'm not judgmental, you are. Which we just judged. And Jesus warns us and reminds us that God does a pretty good job of being God. Hey, I don't need your help. And be very careful when when we want to sit in that position. That's a warning we see all over Scripture. So we can joyfully and sometimes painfully be relieved of that duty. When we step back and we look at the overall picture of the kingdom of God, this this is not a new list of rules to follow. It's a new king to follow. To trust, to worship, to give up our lives to and for it's a good king. It is a powerful king. It is a king who sees and knows you, who does not reject you. It's a king for the poor in spirit, for the humble, for the meek. Now, some of you may hear this, and you, you may be like, eh, I'm, st- I'm just going gonna, gonna to do my own thing. Thanks. For, no thanks. I just need to be a good person. If that's you, now, you may be like, I don't care. I don't care if I'm a good person or not. Or you may be like, I just need to be a good person, then I'm good. Listen, I can't change you. Um, It's above my pay grade. But beware of your definition of good and how often you have to change that. And you think think God as judge is a hard thing. Yourself as judge is a a brutal thing. And if you're fickle enough, and if you're leaving it to the fickle people around you, They're far worse. You got to be aware of the definition of good and how much of that we have to change to make sure that we're constantly better than those people, that we're somehow above the 50% line. Uh, If that's you, I'm going to give you a really good secret for that. You ready? Always be outraged. Because if you're always outraged, then all you get to do is worry about everybody else and you don't have to ever examine your own stuff. So keep it up, man. Keep it up. There might be some points in time, though, in the evenings when you're alone that that comes calling. Don't run from that. Or if you hear this and think, you know, I got this pretty good. I don't want to stand up here and convince you otherwise. I would encourage you, maybe ask somebody close to you. Hey, do I have an honest assessment of myself? Do you read that and go, that's Bill? Or do you read it and go, mm. parents, I don't know of a time that we fall into this more than as, as parenting, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, I want to give you the greatest freedom of your life. You ready for this? You cannot raise godly children. You cannot raise godly children. You cannot produce godly children. What you can do is you can be a godly parent. That's what you can do. But you cannot manufacture godly children. There's a huge temptation to think that if we do A plus B, then that will become C. And Proverbs, which I love the Proverbs, uh, and I, the only one the only one I like more than Proverbs 8 is Proverbs 9, but it's totally fine. I love Lady Wisdom, pursuing Lady Wisdom. I think that's, I think that's uh, a beautiful thing. But there's a temptation. Proverbs is wisdom. It's not a guarantee. If we, there's a thought that if we do A plus B, then our children will become C, and they will accomplish all the great plans that we have for their life. I'm going to tell you right now, there's no greater way to push your children into rebellion than to do that. Love them. Want good for them. Be a godly parent. Demonstrate a need for grace and mercy. Remind them. Correct them. Prize forgiveness, theirs and yours. Ask your, ask your kids for forgiveness. Oh, That's a whole other sermon that I, could, I have lots of illustrations for. Be careful not to teach them simply self-reliance or judgment or moralism, but to remind them of a need for Jesus. Or if you hear all this and you think, man, God, if you hold this against us, then who could stand? I have nothing, I bring nothing. There's no way I can do this. What is my hope? I have good news. I have really good news. It's been a while, so I'm going to need your help. All right? There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son blessed lamb of god messiah holy one thank you god my father thank you oh my father for giving us your son and leaving your spirit. Jesus is the good and true king, whether we like it or not, but he's good. This is not the call to get it perfect, but when we blow it, where do we go? Do we go to the false kings? Do we renew our hope in presentation? Do we just get a little bit more money? Do we judge ourselves in comparison to others? Or do we go to the good and generous king who knows what we need before we even ask? Who is quick to forgive? Who does not reject you but restores you? Do we know this good king? Is this the God that we believe and trust in? Do we take time to remember this is who God is? If you're here, if you've if you have never thought to trust Jesus as king or never done that, listen, ask questions, talk, turn to the person next to you, even if it's uncomfortable. It's, that's great. Uh, we're going to do some movement here in a minute, and there'll be, I'm going to be standing in the back. There'll be a couple other guys standing in the back, grab somebody and say, hey, all right, what does this mean to be, to trust Jesus as king? Um, send me an email talk don't squash it down don't be like "Ah, I don't need this religion stuff I don't either but don't put this off and listen especially younger younger folk in the room I'm going to tell you something not believing something just because your parents believed it wait a minute I got to start this right Believing something just because your parents believed it, it's not always good, right? But not believing something just because your parents believed it is never good. That's blind. That's the thing of our day. I'll believe anything as long as my parents didn't believe it. Don't be blinded by that. Evaluate, ask good questions. All right. Let me give you your assignment for this week. I'm going to ask you to read through the Sermon on the Mount again. Five through seven of Matthew, page in the Blue Bibles, page 809, the end of page 809, all the way through first column, in, or no, yeah, the end of uh, 812. Three, three pages. Read through that. Ask questions. What does this mean? Am I misunderstanding something? Surely this doesn't mean what I think it means, or maybe I need to dive in a little bit more here to understand this. What is Jesus trying to get across to his disciples here? And then evaluate your own heart. Ask yourself do I see Jesus as king? Am I submitted here? Is there some other king I'm chasing after? Am I doing the performance? And then just ask, do I see Jesus as king? Or maybe even a prayer of reminder for the hopeful, for the desperate. Christ is king. Over my finances, whether when, even when I'm panicked, over my approval, even when I want it so badly from others, and my want con- to control, And like, be in charge, I'm going to trust that Jesus is king. In my quest for power, to make sure that I'm the final one that determines who goes to heaven and who goes to hell, I'm going to submit and trust Jesus as king, as the true and better judge. Jesus be king. Help me remember that. Let's pray. God, I think we take for granted, I, I take for granted in our day that you have actually made yourself known and knowable. And too often I operate on a default view. Especially when guilt and pride come into play. I'm going to assume that I'm not alone. And this is why This is why we have the Holy Spirit at work in us, that you did not leave us alone, that the Spirit is at work in us reminding us, hey, 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 before you go down that path, read about me again. This is why you've given us your word. You didn't just ask us to close our eyes and believe that this is true regardless of everything else. You you took great pains to make yourself known and knowable, including becoming one of us, which we'll, begin to celebrate here in a few weeks. So I pray that we would do some work here. Remember, recall who you are, who, you've, who you have made yourself known as, that we would know you as you've made yourself known, not as we presume you to be. And may we find great comfort and hope and joy in trusting you as king. God, For my own heart, we ask your blessing over not just this time in our hearts and minds, but our efforts to remember during the week. That tomorrow morning we'd wake up the Holy Spirit would be active and being like, hey, 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 before you go into work and think everything rests on you, before you get on social media with all the pressures of taking the right stand and make sure you got, make sure you you know exactly what you're talking about, about the thing you have no idea about that we'd be reminded you are king. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Building our identity in Christ for the sake of the world. That's the mission of Refuge Church. For more information, visit us online at seekrefuge.net.